All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries Fireside Chats. This is episode four. Uh, my name is Shannon Kirkpatrick. I'm the founder of Rekindling Ministries. My name is Zach Rios, and I help out with the podcast. I'm a grad student in Dallas Theological Seminary. My name is Tori Doty. I've been a guest on a couple of the season three podcast episodes, and I'm here for this fireside chat. And I'm Craig DeLuca, and I've also been a part of Unpacking Episodes, and so far, all the fireside yeah, chats. Four for four. So, just a quick um, explanation of the fireside chats, if this happens to be the first one you're listening to. the All the other seasons are meticulous, thorough, comprehensive, multiple hours long of each episode, super in-depth. And we'll be starting season four later this year. But in the interim, we wanted to try something different. We want to do these fireside chats, which is much more casual, uh, laid back. Um, we don't have as much thorough prepping. It's just kind of just conversing with each other. And one of my major hopes for the fireside chats as you're listening to these, um, and I'll say this, like I know for me personally, I don't know if I would necessarily listen to a podcast that just had a bunch of banter. Um, I kind of want to get to the point thorough to teach me something, but I realized that there's different approaches to podcasts. And so I've been told me, Hey, maybe we should try that more banter thing kind of back and forth and just try different stuff. People, people could like that anyway. So, so one of my goals or hopes with this is to show that as Christians, cause all of us here in the recordings, at least so far have been our believers. I mean, I, I'd love to have some other friends of mine that aren't Christians on at some point as well. Um, but so far, the, at least the four of us um, have all drank the Jesus Kool-Aid. And, and, but we want to show that even as believers, and we all hold to the authority of Scripture, we may still have different takes, different perspectives, different paradigms on things, uh, and we can still be unified in our love and respect of each other, even if we disagree. And so, and then we can talk practically because sometimes it's, it's compatible. Sometimes it's contradictory. What do we do with that? You know, et cetera. Um, and so that's, that's one of my goals as we go through these fireside chats. Now it's funny, this, this, the previous episode three, I think we're actually, we're all in agreement in each of the points that we brought up. And so there was no necessarily, um, division. Uh, but we'll see as we, as we continue going. So, so the first two episodes, we, we talk kind of psychologically and philosophically about why people have different uh, takes on politics, religion, theology, et cetera, and what to do with that. And then last episode, we, we started getting into this. Um, what are some of our little kind of favorite fun theologies or doctrines or beliefs that we have? that maybe are fringe, maybe aren't traditional, or maybe just the, the issue itself is still up for debate. Uh, and so we shared a couple of those. We also talked about how theology can be kind of broken into tiers as far as primary, secondary, and tertiary, where primary theology would be like the salvific things. You have to believe this if you want to get to the eternal kingdom. Secondary are all super important. This is the big, big section. Super important, but maybe not quite salvifically. And then tertiary would be more kind of the fun, frivolous, are there pets in heaven or are the streets of gold literal, you know, things like that. Um, and we even talked about how people are going to disagree on which tier uh, something holds to. So, so if you're curious about that, you can go back and listen to that one. So we're continuing with this and we're continuing with some of our, our little favorite um, fringe or, or non-traditional or whatever. Uh, and so, Craig, we'll have you start. What's, uh, what's something that you're passionate about that you believe in that maybe isn't the church doesn't talk about a lot? So this is probably my favorite topic um, ever to look into and listen about, and it is the Nephilim and who are the Nephilim and where did they come from. And um, I hold to the Nephilim first mentioned in Genesis 6 um, that they are the offspring of fallen angels and human women. 
And so, um, yeah, like I said. So what, first... what's the context? What, what, what's going on when they're first mentioned? I don't. I think it's honestly just. This is right before, right like, before the flood. Or yeah, right? it's a little bit before the flood, but I. It's just mentioned. It's not like there's no detail into what really is going on. It just says, and then. Yeah. So the, the only Nephilim were there. <laughs> it's a it's a historical reference. It's only a sentence or two. It is right before the flood. So some of the context is, you know, the the, the Lord looked out upon the world and saw that it was wicked in all its ways. It's all all its thoughts were turned to evil except for Noah. And so he decides on the flood. So there is some context of like wickedness going on. So it just makes this reference and it says, what's the exact wording? Like the sons, the sons of God married the daughters of men. Yeah. Um, and then their offspring or the results of, of those union was this Nephilim. Nephilim. And how many times it's mentioned in the first or second Kings, I think. Yeah, I have some other references here and some of them don't use the word Nephilim. Um, but if you like read the context, a connection. yeah. And, or, or it connects to fallen angels coming to earth. So mm-hmm. just proving that it is a possible thing that happens. Um, so numbers 13, uh, 30 through 33, second Samuel 21, mm-hmm. 16 and 20 Jude one, six mm. and Deuteronomy three eleven, And I think there is a King's verse, but I did not write it down. Um, and they're, Usually referred to like the term the Bible uses, if not the Nephilim, but but for fallen angels, is sons of God. Yeah, and so so um, let, real quick, let's do Nephilim first. So Nephilim is actually just the Hebrew word transliterated, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think so. And I know in like the King James, I believe it's translated giants. Yeah. So so Nephilim is a Hebrew word transliterated. Um, it talks about in that Genesis passage they were men of renown, mm-hmm. like great feats of strength. You mentioned the King James Giants. I, I think I think um, Goliath is somehow tied in. Yeah. The uh, Anakim, like the people group, is related right, to yes. Nephilim or something like that. And so these Nephilim were apparently, according to Scripture, like physically large men. Men and women, do you know? That's a I great believe question. it's always mentioned as men, but that doesn't mean an offspring couldn't be a female, to my knowledge. Right. I almost feel, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Could go either way. Now, so the fallen angels are always referenced as male. Right. So so, so, the, so the Nephilim are this people group mentioned several times that are like physically large and do these amazing feats of renown. And so then the question becomes, where do these Nephilim come from? And the passage says that the sons of God intermarried with the daughters of men and produced the Nephilim. Right. So what Craig's getting into specifically is what does that mean? And it looks like it means... Sons of God refers to fallen angels. Well, angels, but the ones that fell came to earth and took for themselves women. And and, and uh, how do we know that sons of God refer to angels? Um, well, as far so there's there's a bunch of research on this. You can listen to uh, Chuck Missler does a talk on the Nephilim and and goes into this. Also, uh, Michael Heiser mm-hmm. does talk about angels and what the term means. So, sons of God, I believe. Every time men- is is referring to angels, um, and if not every time, the majority. Yeah, I think it, I I forget if I heard there was one time when he was referring to um, Adam, but Adam was also a direct creation of God and right. not an offspring. Right. So, but I'm pretty sure it refers to so uh, throughout like every Psalms time. and the prophets, you're going to see a handful of references to the sons of God, and contextually, it seems they're talking about angels. Right. So the more straightforward reading of Genesis is that angels, and we can conclude 
because of the Jude reference, this is not something God wanted. Right. And so it's probably not the obedient angels that did this. Right. It's by the fallen angels. And so the fallen angels came down, and, and we would have to assume took physical form. Would have to. Um, there's a passage talking about leaving their first estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they left something to come to human form. And then married and had sex with women, human mm-hmm. women, daughters of men. Um, and then it was this demonic human offspring that were the Nephilim. Right. So that seems to be more the straightforward reading of the text. Obviously, people push back on this. Right. Cause so what's one of the weird. other camps? The Sethite view and that these sons of God were um, from the, Seth, the line of Seth. And, and that's who did the intermingling. The only problem is, or was it? Wait, was it that? I'm pretty sure it's the Sethite view. Yeah, but I think it's like the the sons of God and daughters of men. One of them refers to the line of Seth, right? And the other refers to the line of not Cain. Sure, or, I have not looked real deep into okay. that because it's not to what I hold. But but so they would say it's all human, right? It's just two different lines, exactly. Okay. And the biggest problem with that is when these Nephilim are described, they're described as giant super strong different abilities than regular humans and it's like well if that's the case when non-believers marry believers today or throughout history none of that stuff happens Mm -hmm. so why did it happen then like what caused Mm -hmm. a non-believing group to intermingle with a believing group and then cause these giant race of people yeah because the text seems to say there's something something going something different Yeah. yeah um how does this tie into, uh, do we want to get into this, the, the bloodline stuff? I feel like that could go for. Okay, that, yeah, <laughs> we'll table that. So just so, just so you know, there's some spinoffs off of this um, that can do another whole can of worms. Um, anyways, so, okay, so Tori, have you heard this stuff before? No, I am like completely uneducated on all of this stuff. And like that probably is a verse that I've read and just skipped over. I'm like, okay. I don't know what that is. I don't I've never heard of Nephilims before. Like I'm just gonna Yeah skip over that. Yeah, Zach, what about you? I literally don't remember hearing the word before tonight. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? I I mean I'm sure I have because I've known Craig for a little while. Have you now. heard of giants being and mentioned? And you've read giants. The King James uses the term giants. Which I I don't typically just read the King James. It's been a long time so this since is actually I've done a side that, note question. Has everybody here read the Bible front to end? No, I have not made it through the Song of Solomon. <laughs> That's right. We've I started it a couple times, <laughs> but I I just struggle with that one. But you've read every other book? Every other book, yeah. Okay, what about you, Tori? I've definitely read all the books, not in order. No, but you've uh, read, but every, I've read every book. Every book yeah. Zach, I'm assuming you I'm pretty sure because... Um, I got married last May and we actually have started reading through the Bible chronologically together and I hadn't done all of the Old Testament before. I'm and so right now we're in like the New Testament and I'm pretty sure I had already read the New Testament, but if I haven't in the next yeah. couple months I will have. I I think I've done it front to end four times, three or four times. And obviously of course certain books you just you've read, you know, dozens of times. Mm-hmm. My dad actually uh has read I think it's like 10 now. At one point it was seven. I think he's up to ten now. Ten wow. times he's read through, and he reads it in a different translation each time. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and he, and, and he says every time I, re- I read it, I learn something different. Now he does it in the one year. I always recommend people take three years to read it, so you're not, you know, speeding through it. Yeah, because you got to move quick. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So 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 you guys are are unfamiliar with that. I'm familiar with it, and I actually agree with Craig. We hold to the same uh, the same view that it's it was demonic human offspring. 
Um, Cause it just seems it's the more straight reading of the text. It obviously brings up, I understand why people push back on it. I really do. Um, but it also, this can, so this, so we won't go into it ties into bloodline stuff and the genealogy of God. Or right. Jesus. And it also ties into what does it mean when it says the generations of Noah not mm-hmm. being from that? And does that mean the rest of the world had been the bloodline polluted? And so there's a lot of things. It, it also ties it. into uh, ancient religions. Yeah. And, and what were the Greek gods mm-hmm. and all these, th- were they real people that had some of these abilities and did it come from the Nephilim, the offspring of fallen angels because we don't know what that would create right yeah so craig and i both lean towards the ancient pantheons were either nephilim demonic human offspring or were demons in human form doing miraculous things well fallen angels in human form right demons don't look like they can take human form they have to possess something oh we can't someone so i know you mentioned before that you see fallen angels and demons as two different things yeah the the demons are the dead nephilim Really? Yes. Okay, I hadn't heard that. Uh, that's also like uh, Michael Heiser, Chuck Missler. Look them up. They yeah, all yeah, get so into I, the very specific, drawn-out details of that. I'd, I'd always equated fallen angels and demons as the same. So so you can see there's a ton of... Yeah, Tori's face right now. There's a ton <laughs> of stuff out there. My mind is just totally blown right now. All these like new concepts I've never even heard. The, um, some of the stuff actually even ties into theories on Atlantis and aliens. I mean, there's... Like, I've read some crazy books. And, um, it, it just goes... So referencing the reason for the demon and the difference is you can see like angels show up in physical form, like in uh, Sodom when they came to Lot and everything, where demons like they're in the human, they they get cast out. Well, can we go to the pigs or can we they're they're not able to have a form outside of indwelling something else. Interesting. I see the argument. I don't know if I'm persuaded by it, but I see the argument. Yeah, and it like I'm just reminded of in um, the last episode, we were talking about the different levels of theology um, and how like there's the core stuff and then some of the... And now we're really starting to, in my opinion, I think that we're starting to get into some of the more fringe things. So yeah, to me, this would be a second tier. Right, because that's the point. So some people would, yeah. would say, oh, that's third tier for me. Right. For others, for you, Craig, it's second tier because of the implications of it. Right, and, and the whole God telling people that's to really wipe out entire groups of people, women and children... Well, that seems to go against God's nature, but not if a fallen angel bloodline was in these people, and now when they die, they're they're given to being demons. There's a ton of really interesting stuff. Wow. Like yeah. I. Okay. So all right. So that's 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 that one. Uh, what's the next one we're gonna discuss today? Okay. So so one of the things was if if you if you've been listening to each of those in the last episode we did um, young earth you know creationism, uh, and we also discussed from the get go kind of man God's plans for man the partnership. And then now we now we discuss the Nephilim, which was first mentioned in Genesis five. So all three of those are like early on, right? Like mm-hmm. like things that like if you kind of do chronologically these these issues. So now we're actually going to jump to the end, and, and eschatology, and we're going to go through uh, some of our theories about end time stuff. So the first one what we're going to do is the eschat. So eschatology means a study of the of the end times or end things. I think is what it means. Anyways, there's tons of theories because you're getting into premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, two rap. rapture. Um, what's that? With the rapture. With the rapture, yeah. And so the idea here is what's going to happen? How how does this earth? How does the story end on this earth? Then you get into the millennium. Then you get into the eternal kingdom of heaven, etc. So the first thing that we're going to mention is two wrath. So so the oh, man. So much to be said here. Um, what you have when it comes to 
like so. The, and two wrath is is one of the subtypes under pre pre mill, right? I think so. Well, and a pre millennial. Yeah. So 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 you have so you have pre millennial, post millennial, a millennial. We're gonna we'll get into that later. Within pre millennial, there's some sub camps, and the sub camps are pre trib. Mid trip, post trip. I always was taught it was those three. Yeah, me too. Then I found out there's actually a fourth one, two wrath, which Craig and I also both hold to. Correct. So the idea here is the tri- the trib means tribulation, and tribulation means some sort of trial, um, suffering, etc. And so pre trib, what they believe is at the end times there's this great tribulation, which is God's wrath on the rebels. And since we Christians aren't rebels. We're not going to be on the receiving end of that pre- of that tribulation, and so we're going to be delivered from that. So we're actually going to be raptured or gathered up or taken up. That's not a whole deal in the rapture, but we'll be gathered up, and our being gathered up or raptured sets off God's wrath on the rebels. That's pre-trib. So we won't be around for the end-time chaos. Problem with that, and, and it's the strong argument for pre-trib, well, I don't think it's strong, but the argument for pre-trib is we don't know the date or the hour. There's, there's several different arguments for that. Um, Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, there'll be a great persecution against the church in the end times. And he, and he ex- explains some of this stuff. And so you're like, wait a minute. So that there is a tribulation against us. So then, so some people saw this and they said, Oh, it's post trip because Jesus says in, in Matthew 24 that the church will have this wrath against it, like Satan's wrath against the church. And we're the point of that. So it's post trip. We're going to, we're going to be raptured after this great tribulation against Christianity. Mid trip. They say, ah, I don't know if it's as simple as that because there's some more complications. So it seems that during that, that last seven years, the 70th week of Daniel is all this tons of stuff with all this, that, that somewhere in the middle of all that, um, we will be raptured up. So then you have two wrath, which refines it even further. Cause there's more details, more nuances they're paying attention to. So I'm going to hand it over to Craig to explain two wrath. Well, I'm, I'll probably let you do it just because you, <laughs> you know, it back. way more than I do. Um, I just know it's yeah. So I, I do believe that we. It says we are here. We're going to suffer persecution. So I believe that we are here for. I don't know if it's half of the tribute. Yeah. There is a point where it looks like God has released Satan to do destruction mm-hmm. on the earth to everybody, including his people, mm-hmm. and then it looks like it turns to God who is now doing the wrath. And that's why I believe that we are going to be here for Satan's part. But since we are not appointed to wrath from God, we will be removed before the second wrath, which is God's wrath. Isn't Satan loosed from the pit in the second half of the tribulation period? No. The pit is actually at the end of the millennium, which is the thousand-year period. This is one of those conversations where where we need a whiteboard. Yeah, because I grew up in um, a dispensational church where we had the chart for everything yeah, like right, everything's right, right, right. laid out and labeled and like <laughs> yeah. the answer's just there on the chart um and i dispensationalism is something that i'm trying to figure out and it is currently the position that i hold to so i actually do hold to a pre-tribulational rapture and i think that one of the strongest um view one of the strongest reasons why is because for a believer God's wrath was poured out on Christ on at, on the cross, mm-hmm. and so we're not going to suffer any of God's wrath, which is what's going on during the tribulation period, and mm-hmm. so we're going to be raptured before then. Yep. And I think um, from most of the pre, 
every male people that I've talked to, that is probably one of the strongest reasons why um, they hold to that position. Yeah. And so, because I, I, I don't remember specifically what you said the main reason was, but that's the main reason that I hold to yeah, it. Yeah, the other one I heard was, like, Paul seems to say nobody knows the day nor the hour, and so it could come as a surprise. And so, oh, because a lot of, like, the two wrath or even mid-trib, there's a series of things that have to happen before the 70th, because you hold to the 70th week of Daniel. Yeah, that said, yeah. yeah. There's a series of things that have to happen yeah. before the 70th week starts, and that stuff hasn't happened yet. Therefore, the 70th week can't start. Where pre-trib says it's the rapture that kicks off the, the 70th week, the seven years, mm -hmm. because we're delivered and, and we're, we're safe from all that tribulation. And that could happen at any time. And it's just a small clarification. It from my understanding pre-trib doesn't necessarily like it's not an immediate rapture then the 70th week there could be a gap there okay um is what i have been taught yeah. so there is some except with all of end times things there is so much spectrum even within oh, different yeah, yeah, positions yeah, and so it's just hard to nail down specifically so with the two wrath the main point is they agree that we're not appointed to receive god's wrath because of the cross mm -hmm. So, yes, we're delivered from that. But it seems there's a second wrath that comes first, which is Satan's wrath on the church and, and all of really humanity, and then man, and then God's wrath on the rebels. And so the two wrathers says we're there for at least part of the seven-year period, and we're the whole point of Satan's wrath, and we receive all that. Then we get delivered from that. And then we're not around for God's wrath. So, so, so two wrathers actually agree with pre-tribbers right. on that. That yeah, that we're not here for God's wrath. But we said there's actually two wraths. And one of the biggest arguments is Matthew 24. If you go and, and Revelation comes a, a, in a huge play here as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, this also depends on what's your approach to Revelation: uh, allegorical, historical, futurist, etc. Um, but the the point, the idea is, is that. Um, in Matthew 24, he says there'll be a great, the, a, a great tribulation that the church will be the greatest tr tribulation the church ever experiences. And so be ready for that. And then it says, and then in the midst of that, you'll look for the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, and this language of the coming of the Son of Man with the rapture. So there's a, this also gets into Thessalonians when you start looking at language. This, so this, again, I'm arguing a two rather point. When you look at the language the Bible uses to describe the rapture or the gathering, it's very specific. Like if the sun goes dark and the, the skies, the sun, the stars fall, etc. Um, it seems that takes place some at some point in the middle of that seven-year reign after this great this great tribulation. Oh, and so the, also too. So with with Satan, you mentioned the pit. This is so complex. There's so many different theories on this, and it's, it is really conjecture. I think it's it can be discerned conjecture but um at the beginning of the seven-year period it seems the antichrist rises to power mm -hmm. who's empowered by satan and so satan is actually very active oh, yeah. the entire seven years that, that, that 70th week and then the millennium kicks in and he's actually chained at the beginning of the millennium and so he's chained for that thousand years and then, he's and then at the end of the thousand years he's unchained for one final rebellion mm -hmm. and then that ends a thousand years and then the great white throne judgment and then the eternal kingdom of heaven um, so anyways, um, so that, that's, that's the idea of the, of the two, right? So, so you're still currently 
pre-trib. Yeah, and the way that I've heard um, Matthew 24 explained is that those trials aren't a part of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation period. That's just like on earth, this is going on, and Satan is wreaking havoc on the church. And in the midst of that, then... Okay, so they, they might hold to two wraths, but one wrath is yeah, way but one is, times, but one isn't necessarily where we would before. hold to both wraths are occurring right. in yeah. that 70th week. And mm-hmm. by the way, not everybody holds to the 70th week of Daniel as a literal thing, because mm-hmm. that gets into amillennialism and, and postmillennial and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So so you're pre-trib. Mm-hmm. I, w- I, I grew up pre-trib and then moved over to two wrath. Same for you, Craig? So yeah, I, I was pre-trib probably till like three or four years ago. Um, and the only reason I think I was that I, t- to me, the argument is very strong for pre-trib. Um, and I always avoided post-trib listening to about it because I just thought it was dumb and didn't want. So I started listening to it cause I wanted to know more. And then I was like, man, their argument is strong too. So before I even did research on to wrath, I already concluded, okay, pre-tribs have a great argument uh-huh. post due to, I'm going to have to go somewhere in the middle and look up what goes on there and and so that was the initial for me like and then you okay i feel like yeah and then i started to look into two rats and, and it made the most sense to me but i do say i really really hope the pre-tribbers are right and so tori what you uh, i definitely grew up pre-trib i think i grew up under like a very conservative southern baptist church who had very odd theology concern concerning like end times <laughs> Um, so I think probably I fall in, tri- in pre-trib. I don't know for sure. Right. That's like an area of my own beliefs that I'm still wrestling through a lot. And I've like concluded some things, but some other things it's just like, I will figure it out someday. Yeah. I don't know yet. So okay. I think pre-trib. Yeah. Most likely. So let's segue and we'll just do this one quickly. Uh, um, the millennium. Yeah. And so you have pre-mill and post, all, you know, a-mill. A, a millennial, I'm abbreviating, a millennial, post millennial, pre millennial. And so, what is the millennium? The millennium is a thousand year period that Revelation, I think only Revelation mentions it. Um, and it mentions this thousand year period. And so, there's a number of different camps on what that means. So, the a millennial, a in Latin, kind of like no. And the idea is it's not a literal thousand year period, it's just talking about. Um, at some point, like God, Christ is going to institute this non-literal, this figurative thousand-year reign. And what it just means is God's going to make everything right. And they would say it more refers to the eternal kingdom of heaven. It's kind of one and the same there. Um, post-millennial is the idea that the rapture, they would hold more to a, a literal, not necessarily a literal thousand years, but like a literal reign, not just figurative, how long ever it is. And, and, um, then after, and the idea of like Christ kind of coming down, whether literally or like just through Christians and establishing this really awesome, like Christian kingdom where everything's going to be really good. And then one, and basically the idea, well, don't quote me on all this. This is my (laughs) understanding of it. But the understanding was, is that Christ is going to empower Christians to basically write the world and make the world awesome. And once we've actually achieved that, and now we've – this would kind of go back to that partnership thing. Once we've actually succeeded at making the world good, then Christ will come down and rapture us and we go into heaven where it's perfect. And I found out that up through the 1800s in America, most Christians were all post-millennial. 
because in the 1800s, you started seeing the United States really do a lot of great things. I mean, the Civil War was a hiccup. Um, more than a hiccup, but you know, um, but the idea of like moving out across the country, establishing all the lands, um, the industrial revolution. And so the, so people after the civil war, people were starting to get encouraged that things were starting to get made right. Um, then you started seeing some of the negative results of, of industrialization. Um, then all of a sudden the whole world goes to war in 19, 14, 1917. Um, then you see the rise of communism and fascism. Then the whole world goes to war again uh, in 19, late 30s through 1945. And, and so post-millennialism went the way of the dodo bird for the most part, where it was like, okay, we can't really be, because the idea was we, we, the church, are slowly making things better. Um, and that got rocked by two world wars, Vietnam, all that stuff. And so, so, up through the say the, the 1940s, post-millennialism was actually the more common thing for Christians, but it got scrapped because of everything. And so it was in the somewhat in the 60s, but mostly in the 70s, is when pre-mill exploded. So like all of us grew up mostly in pre-mill, pre-trib type things, and so we just assumed, well, yeah, you as a kid, you grow up, you're constantly taught pre-mill. That's the way it is. Pre-mill has only been as big as it is since the 1970s. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that, that pre-mill wasn't big in ages past. I don't really know the history of eschatology mm-hmm. through the church as a whole, but I do know the 1800s and early 1900s, it was actually post-mill, and then it went to pre-mill. And so now, so what pre-mill says is the world is just chaotic, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes the church is doing great things, sometimes it's not, you know, et cetera. And the world's just going to kind of continue in that vein. Um, and then at some point there's that 70th week of Daniel where God's going to kind of wrap up the whole storyline with the Jews and the rebellion and all that jazz. And then, so then this is from revelation. And so what pre-mill says is then you have this thousand year reign and there's different theories, even within pre-mill. The one that I hold to is it's a literal thousand year reign and it's on earth, on this physical earth. Um, and, and at the end of the thousand years is the great white throne judgment. And then the, this earth is destroyed. The new earth is created and the eternal kingdom of heaven will take place on the, on the new earth. And without going into a ton of detail, I believe, and, and I, I probably can't back all this up right now because it would take too long. Um, this, a lot of this came from, um, uh, uh, Van Campen is the author's name, a book called, I think the oath. Um, and anyways, I believe it's a, a literal thousand-year reign. Jesus will physically be here on earth, um, and he'll be in Jerusalem. And Israel will finally get the borders that God intended, which is from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean. Uh, David will, will be there, and, and the temple will be rebuilt. And David and Jesus will have this special relationship. Um, there's there's a verse like Ezekiel that talks about maybe there's this room in the temple that only Jesus and, and David can go to. Um, and then the rest of Christians will all be here for the, and we'll, and we'll live, we'll have our glorified bodies and we'll live out the entire thousand years. And we're like, this life is like maybe 20% good, 80% bad. That life is like 80% good, 20% bad because there can still be sin and death in the millennium. It'll just be a lot less. Um, and it seems that I'm, I'm rattling off a whole bunch of stuff that I've like read through, et cetera, but that there'll be people at the, at the, in the end of the, at the end of the seven years, there'll be non-believers who do survive. They're not all killed off. And those non-believers will enter into this thousand year reign. Um, and then they'll still have kids, et cetera. So there'll still be generations being born during this time. And the idea is, is that it's much more likely that you're going to ascribe to Christ because he's literally physically living in Jerusalem. You visit, but you still have free will and there'll still be some 
that don't. There's a verse in Isaiah that talks about um, if a man lives to 100 years, he'll be considered cursed. And so one of the theories is is that in the millennium, if you're not a believer, you, you're born, you grow up, you have the choice to. And if you become a believer, then you, live, you get the glorified body, you live out to 1,000 years. If you don't, then you die just like normal. And so it's a lot like this time that we're in, but with some major changes. Now, this is not a hill that I would defend. I'd put this... I put this either at the bottom of the second tier or top of the third tier. So just so you guys know, I, I like it. I get excited about it, but I don't, I don't vehemently defend it. Anyways, I don't know if you, so have you guys had any thoughts on the millennium and what you think the thousand year reign is? There, there's just so, so many different components there oh, that yeah, it's, yeah. I, I don't know that we have time to start trying to dissect any differences, but. That we, when we did the book of Revelation, um, I tr- when I teach Revelation, I teach it from all three points, the figurative, historical, and futurist. I tend to lean towards futurist, um, but I think it's probably a combination of all the ones, and so I want to be open to that stuff. There's just, there's a ton, and like I get, oh, other question I have for you, then we'll wrap up. Craig, you mentioned you really like talking about the Nephilim. I, I really like talking about like the eschatology and, and like the, the two wrath and, and the, the pre or the millennium and whatever that stuff is just cause it's future. I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. I start conjecturing, kind of picturing it, you know? And so I enjoy it. Why, why did, do you enjoy the Nephilim and that topic so much? I just think the supernatural is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think growing up not being taught much about the supernatural, like, everyone's afraid to touch angels and demons and all these things. And then they just want everyone to believe in a virgin birth and that Jesus was resurrected and all these miracles and, but hush on the other fringe part of the Bible. And so when I found like found the topic and found all this cool information, it's just, it's fascinating. That's all. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. So, so we discussed um, Nephilim and two wrath pre-trib and, and a little bit on, on millennialism whatever you hold to. Um, so we'll go ahead and wrap up there with that one. I think we will um, still do a third episode, maybe a fourth one. I think this is kind of fun. Just throwing some of this stuff out there. You, the listener can, oh, I didn't, you know, that was a thing, you know, kind of, kind of deal. So we'll wrap up with that. Thanks for listening. Um, look for the, the next episode and, and we'll kind of keep discussing some of the stuff and, and freak you out, bring you comfort, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be. So thanks for listening.